Support has been provided by independent educational grants from Astellas, AstraZeneca, Bristol-Myers Squibb, Janssen Biotech Incorporated, administered by Janssen Scientific Affairs, LLC, Merck, Pfizer Incorporated, Sanofi Genzyme, and Eurogen Pharma Incorporated. Hi, this is Vic Nitti, Chair of the AUA Office of Education, welcoming you to another AUA Office of Education podcast. This one another in our AUA Expert Exchange podcast series, discussions about managing GU cancer. Specifically, today's podcast is going to be on addressing disparities in prostate cancer care. It is my pleasure to introduce my co-host, Dr. Stanley Frencher, Jr. Uh, Stan is Associate Professor in the Department of Urology at the David Geffen School of Medicine at UCLA and is also the Chief of Urology as well as the Chair of Perioperative Services at Martin Luther King Jr. Hospital, uh, Community Health. He is uh, a father, husband, surgeon activist, health science researcher, physician, executive, virtual care innovator with a focus on uh, vulnerable and underserved populations with the goal of ameliorating healthcare inequities and health disparities. So I can't think of a better person to be doing this podcast with than, uh, than Dr. Stan Frencher. Welcome to the podcast. Well, no, it's my pleasure to be with you. Uh... Uh, I just want to go over two of our learning objectives before we start, and they are to examine racial and geographic disparities in prostate cancer and prostate cancer care, and secondly, to identify important causes for disparities as well as possible remedies to address these causes. So Stan, I thought we might start uh, by just talking a little bit about the incidence and prevalence of prostate cancer amongst black men. Yeah, yeah, no, no I, I think that's a really great place to start. And it's, it's ironic that we're having this conversation this weekend. I, I happen to be in the state of Michigan where I grew up uh, and my father was a primary care doctor in Detroit. Uh, and one of the urologists he used to refer to all the time was Isaac Powell, like, who's done a lot of work in this area, like historically looking at uh, health disparities and and the prevalence and incidence of disease amongst African-Americans. And so for those who, who, who aren't aware, I mean, for African-Americans, um, particularly African-American men, the, the rate of disease for prostate cancer is twice that of white, right? Like almost two and a half times the likelihood of dying of prostate cancer. How does that translate into you know, different numbers? The you know, one may think of the rate of, of disease for, for men to be one in six for African-American men versus around one in eight or one in nine for white men. Um, so in general, when we think about prostate as a cancer, about 20% you know, of men like who have cancer, the prostate cancer is the most, you know, it's the second most common form of cancer disease among men. Like, but for African-American men, it's up to 30%. And, and so when you think about those numbers in a different way from a mortality perspective, like, you know, about 10% of men amongst whites die of prostate cancer, but over 12% of African-Americans. So as you, as you start to kind of like try to disentangle, how do you arrive at a way to think about the disease? I always go back to those simple, simple numbers of, of likelihood. So, so for, for black men, the likelihood is about you know, twice that of whites. And for, for, uh, for black men, it's just dying from disease about two and a half times. Um, and, and I think it's really important, not just to think about incident prevalence, 
but also the types of cancers that black men come with, um, which we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about, right? Uh, but, but for African-American men, they're often diagnosed at earlier ages, more aggressive forms of disease, right? Um, and, um, and, and that's kind of how prostate cancer is shown up in black men more than white. What are, what are some of the reasons, what are some of the reasons for this, for the, um, for, for the difference in prevalence? When, when we, do we see the same, the same differences in black men in other countries, as opposed to black men here in the United States? So is it, Fully genetic, is it a genetic plus environmental, or do we not know? Yeah, no, it's, it's a really great question. I think that it's highly debatable what the, the substantive cause is of the difference that we see. Um, but more and more of the data suggests that it's more towards social economic status right, and social determinants of health, more so than it is genetic or biologic. In fact, one of a more recent study um, that, you know, that was in JAMA, right, for which you know, one of my other mentors that, that, that pushed me into urology, Willie Underwood, wrote a really great you know, letter to the editor in response to, kind of, kind of you know, highlights right, the fact that biologic factors are likely not the drivers of the difference. And, and one of the reasons that you see that is when you, see, when you do these population-based studies and you account or adjust for things like education, income, insurance status, geographic um, variation, um, where folks live, um, you then see that the differences between like blacks and whites, particularly as it relates to uh, mortality, like go away, right? And so, so the outcome difference that we see is likely driven largely by socioeconomic status and social determinants of health. Now that said, there's still lots of researchers who are examining or trying to find the underpinnings behind, you know, you know, biological reasons and genetic reasons or you know, that may contribute to that difference. But it seems by and large, far and away, you know, the drivers are that this is a social phenomenon, a social, obsolete social injustice phenomenon rather than a genetic one. Now, does that hold, does that also hold true for things like um, black men developing prostate cancer at an earlier age? having more advanced disease, um, having a greater risk for biochemical recurrence, et cetera. Is that also tied into socioeconomic issues as opposed, as opposed to genetic slash other biological issues? I think those observations push people to still look for biological factors. Right? Those observations of potentially having more aggressive form of disease um, and, and, and the observations you make are some of the reasons why folks are continuing to look for, you know, are there differences? And some of those differences, like subtly or not so subtly, that they're finding, or maybe there's differences in DNA, DNA repair, like in methylization, like between African Americans and, and whites. Are there, you know, they're looking for differences, like in terms of tumor biology, uh, but much of that stuff that not, you know, has not been validated, like in larger studies due in part to the fact that African-American men are not so often participating in these studies, right? And, and so that's where, that's where one of the, when we start talking about solutions, one of the big solutions to trying to 
understand and try to solve the problem of disparities is to make sure that we have higher numbers of African-American men in not just clinical trials, but also their pathology being included. So I was wondering if you could touch on some of the underlying causes of prostate cancer disparities so we can, you know, let's discuss them all. Yep. Yeah, so, so I think first and foremost, when you start looking at um, you know, when African-American men you know, are getting screened for prostate cancer, that's kind of where we're starting first. Right? So, so when we don't have access to, access to care, when we don't have insurance, we don't have a level of awareness amongst African-American populations, they're not getting diagnosed in the first place. They're, they're, so that often will lead to their diagnosis um, you know, later. Right. And so that's where it starts. That's where you have some of the disparity arise initially, just access to care. Um, you know, once men are diagnosed, um, oftentimes um, that diagnosis, that time from diagnosis to treatment is then also delayed. Right? And, and where a lot of folks feel like the underlying cause there, again, comes back to the types of insurances that African-Americans have, the availability of specialty care right? and differences in the type of care that African-American men are receiving in terms of aggressivity. So, so for men who are diagnosed and then undergo treatment, like looking at stage for stage and types of treatment, we often see that they're getting less aggressive forms of treatment. So what, what, what does that mean? That means that for men who, under, who have advanced disease or high-risk disease and are undergoing radical prostatectomy, they're not necessarily getting lymph node, like, um, uh, lymph node dissection. Uh, for, for men who are diagnosed with localized disease, like immediate risk or low risk, and who want to undergo treatment, they're typically less likely to undergo radical prostate. You start to see some of these differences like, in the way that African men are treated, and that may be one of the causes ultimately of the differences in outcome. Like, and, then, and then, kind of lastly, for, for those men who you know, are of, you know, are want to avail themselves of, of maybe more advanced prostate cancer treatments, um, it comes down to, again, insurance status and the availability of that expertise. So you look at men and they're not able to obtain the, the types of treatments that may be more expensive um, or may not be available uh, in certain locations, you start to see that as a reason why it's very good. So, I, so you, you know, you know I, I practice in South Los Angeles and I practice in California. And, while we are able to provide robotic prostatectomies, provide like a variety of options for men, their options are not as plentiful as men who may receive their care across town in Westwood. That's a function of you know, just where they grew up and where they happen to live, what type of, what type of insurance they have. That you know, ultimately has an impact on their outcome and maybe a reason, a large reason why we well, I guess the good news is that those are modifiable things. Those are things that we can do something about. We may not be able to do anything about uh, um, genetics, as at least today, uh, but at least these are things that we can work on, and I'm, I'm, we'll, we'll talk more about that. So, Stan, when we when we talk about healthcare disparities, we uh, we often talk about social determinants of health and how they impact men with prostate cancer. What are social determinants of health? 
Yeah, yeah. So, so social determinants of health um, are, are broadly, right, you know, when you think about them, it's health conditions and environments and where we work, live, play, worship, and age. And, and they tend to impact our health like in a variety of ways, like in our health outcomes in a variety of ways, like, and as a result of how it impacts us from a social perspective, like physically, like, and economically, right? So when you think about that, like socially, like it comes down to you know, how we uh, like are interact with one another, um, how, you know, how good are the schools where you grow up, um, how good are the jobs that are available to you, um, what kind of opportunities that you have based on geography. So, so they often, we often say that zip code is maybe a stronger indicator of your health outcomes than any other factor, right? Uh, and, and that ultimately um, is a major factor for African-American men who suffer historically uh, based on the opportunities they had in terms of where they could grow. So, so I, I was born in Detroit and you know, live in Pasadena and both have something in common in terms of like, historically being highly segregated so, and requiring things like busing right, to ultimately uh, alleviate those um, racial discriminatory policies. And so as a result, when you live in communities that lack you know, healthcare resources, that lack uh, sufficient uh, jobs and job opportunities, education may not be as, as good as other places, uh, then, then those are, are, are determinants right, from a social perspective that can impact um, health. Uh, and so, so those are, you know, when we think about social determinants of health, like there's five components that we think about, and those are economic stability, education, social and community context, health and healthcare, and neighborhood and built environment. Those are kind of the things that we think about in terms of social determinants of health right? and, and ultimately addressing each one of those, um, we can improve the, the health of members of, of those communities right? um, in which you know, have historically uh, been challenged from a social perspective. All right, Stan, let's talk a little bit about the financial impact on access to care. And I know that there are a variety of different ways in which there can be financial impact, uh, whether it be the cost of care or the opportunity cost of receiving care. Well, let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I think that you know, it's important that when we think about health disparities, uh, as we talked about before, social determinants of health include thinking about economic stability. Uh, and for like African-American men, like historically due to differences in wealth and job opportunities, um, there's a heightened need to, you know, and a heightened need to have sensitivity towards like the possibility of financial decisions like um, overlapping with some of the decisions made regarding seeking treatment. Like, and so first there's, you know, thinking about, you know, the differences in insurance and insurance types. Like, so for many men, like who have insurance coverages that are not comprehensive, they may have significant out-of-pocket costs. Like, and 
it's upon, it's incumbent upon us to think about that as we are counseling men towards treatment, right? Like, so uh, one aspect where that may come up is in choosing, you know, whether to undergo radiation therapy or surgery, um, and men may be considering or trying to understand what is going to be the impact on their ability to stay continually employed. Like, uh, another way that comes up is in men who are undergoing treatment for more advanced forms of cancer, high-risk disease, or, or, or biochemical recurrence, um, you know, trying to understand what is going to be their out-of-pocket cost for some of those treatments. Um, and so while we think that all insurances, um, you know, often cover things like androgen deprivation therapy, you know, we run across men who struggle to make sure that those get approved, those get authorized, and they get paid for. Um, and when those men, like African-American men, come from disproportionately low-income communities, potentially with, you know, who are under, underinsured or uninsured, uh, then that could be particularly challenging in making sure that they continue with care. And I think lastly, you know, you, we often find that men like, may get lost to follow-up. And, and how does that happen? Well, I mean, if ultimately the priority has to be towards uh, continuing to provide for their families, continuing to stay employed, like taking time to you know, continue to focus on their own care is something that I've heard many men struggle with that decision-making. Um, churning on and off insurances um, may lead to breakage in their, their follow-up care. Um, so we have to consider these things when, when caring for men, uh, particularly, I think, men of color uh, who may you know, disproportionately um, you know, have lower incomes or have uh, poorer forms of insurance. You know, I have also heard you talk about situations amongst, uh, amongst your patient population and African-American men uh, and other um, people who are can be financially strapped. They're just making it that they may defer or even decline care because they just can't afford to take the time off from work in order to, to get that care. They don't want to take a week or two or three or four off from work because they need that money to support their families. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and you know, it, it's one of those conversations that unless we're intentional about having the conversation with our patients like, and understanding why um, they may be foregoing treatment or why they're, um, or what are they wrestling with in terms of making that decision? I think we may think patients are choosing not to undergo treatment for other reasons, you know, fear of the treatment or, or even some early studies that were looking at yeah. health disparities talked about fatalism and, and this idea that, you know, men didn't want to undergo treatment for fear that the treatment would spread the cancer or make things worse. Um, I think fundamentally there may be other underlying factors that are more modifiable, like uh, understanding, you know, their concerns about employment, understanding like what their insurance will and won't be able to cover their perception of out-of-pocket cost so that we make sure that men are making a completely informed decision like about their treatment uh, and we're able to support them if there are gaps in their insurance coverage uh, through you know the many programs that exist uh, to support men once they're diagnosed with cancer. Yeah, I mean, that, that's, to me, that's a real eye-opener that somebody would defer treatment because they can't afford to take the time off from work and it would seem that that's an easy thing for us to discover. We just have to be in tune to, to asking such questions. And then, 
of course, getting them the proper help so that they can get the care that they need. Yeah, because I think I think employment is just one example of how we can integrate the discussion around social determinants of health in order to truly ameliorate these disparities, right? So, so, so think about that's just employment. And so if we take each of those, I, I can say, well, is housing an issue for some of our patients? Absolutely. Had homeless patients who come in who are diagnosed with prostate cancer and trying to understand how are we going to arrange their surgery or how are we going to make sure that they're taken care of? Yeah, patients who come in who are uninsured, clearly, like, and how do we make sure that they get insured? Are there resources to do so in our respective clinics? Like, when you think about other forms of um, social, other impacts, social determinants, awareness and education. So how do we do outreach into our communities, like, in a way that is, you know, provides the appropriate health literacy? So, so I think that, you know, we talked a lot about financial toxicity and employment, but pretty much in each of those domains of social determinants of health that we talked about before is really the way to start thinking about solutions for the issue of health disparities. You know, I think it's really important that we just summarize for our audience the ways in which we can address racial disparities. Um, it's, I think it's, it's the most important thing that we as healthcare providers and as urologists can do. So let's kind of go through the bullet points of, you know, how to address racial disparities 101, things that we should all be thinking about and all should, and we should, and things that we should all be doing. Yeah, I think, I think first and foremost, like it, it's what we're doing today, you know, in terms of raising awareness about the differences. I, I remember uh, being a, uh, and a public health student uh, going to a rally uh, on the Hill years ago to uh, support um, you know, expansion of healthcare I, you know, I, from, from New York going down to DC and sitting on the bus with several physicians. And we, were, we happened to be talking about health disparities and, and the topic of the disparities in prostate cancer came up. And, and, one, of my, and one of the physicians was like, I just didn't know. I had no idea that there was such a disparity between African-American men and, and whites and with respect to prostate cancer. So I think first and foremost, we, we as urologists have to be leaders in understanding and knowing what those disparities are and educating our colleagues, our primary care colleagues who refer us patients and you know, our other colleagues that we work with and um, in knowing what the differences are and knowing what some of these underlying factors are. Um, I think the second most important thing is if, while, the, while there's debate about you know, the underlying causes being partly attributable to biologic factors or maybe genetic factors. I think there's good evidence at this point now that the vast majority of the explanation for these differences is a social phenomenon, right? And so I think that we have to focus our attention when it comes to solutions on, you know, the social determinants of health as we've discussed them. So you know, I think that you know, one aspect of that is ensuring that you know, when we're working with populations, you know, men of color, um, that we're attuned to, are there issues related to the social determinants of health that are impacting the ways in which my patients are coming to see me, the ways in which we are deciding about treatment, and maybe impediments to them following up and, and undergoing the appropriate treatment. Um, I, think, I think the next piece is you know, understanding our own uh, role in caring for patients and how it impacts our patients who are men of color 
and, and that may be related to implicit bias. That may be into one um, you know, aspect of improving how we take care of patients who, um, who come from underrepresented minority groups is you know, undergoing some level of implicit bias training and understanding what is our own personal role in how we approach our patients who you know, come from backgrounds different than ours. And I think that's really important. Uh, and we see more and more of that in a lot of our academic institutions, like uh, amongst our trainees and medical students. And so I think it's something as faculty that we have to be very uh, cognizant of and, and think about participating in. And then I think that, and, and that leads us to making sure that the care that we provide is culturally competent, like value-based and patient-centered. Um, and so if we're coming to each one of our patients knowing what our own implicit biases are, but also being an understanding of the cultures in which uh, our patients are coming to us with, I think we can begin to, to treat our patients better uh, on an individual basis. Like, and then I think that the, one of the last and most important parts, I think of improving like health disparities is related to work that you know, I've been doing personally since I was a, a resident and a medical student. And I think that's figuring out ways to creatively reach out to men of color you know, beyond the four walls of our hospital and beyond the campuses in which we practice. And um, some of that is reaching out to communities of color and um, locations that are trusted um, you know, in the community. Um, we did so reaching out to men in barbershops um, and there's been lots of data to suggest how that can be effective in treating like hypertension, um, diabetes, and even educating men about prostate cancer. Um, I think you know churches is another location where we've reached out to African American men like to raise awareness like and even provide some care. But I think there's more innovative solutions that you know are coming, um, you know, and that we can avail ourselves of in terms of using telemedicine, like using home health, um, trying to figure out hybrid approaches to uh, making care more convenient. Uh, so that men do not have to take off of work uh, like as frequently to come and see us. Um, so, so I think that some of the solutions uh, will arise in making care more accessible um, to all of our patients, which um, by definition, I think will, will help some of our patients who have a harder time reaching us, uh, which often are, are men of color um, and folks who are low income, underserved, or vulnerable. Is it... Is it accurate to say that those same patients are underrepresented in many clinical trials? Absolutely, and so you know, I think that so that that serves as one of the the other like potential solutions in terms of improving how we care for um, African American patients and men of color. We we need to work hard to improve their participation in clinical trials and and studies in general. Um, and, and there's been good data to suggest how we do that. So, so we have to make, number one, um, we have to raise awareness about the availability of clinical trials. Uh, make sure that um, the description of those trials are in such a way that's accessible to folks. I, you, know, you look at the titles of some of these trials, it's hard to decipher what they're actually studying. Um, so we have to make sure that it's, it's readable, uh, it's understandable uh, at a level that, um, that we all can understand it. I think that we have to you know, provide resources. We have to provide resources for patients and for physicians to be able to navigate their patients into these trials. Um, oftentimes, you know, practitioners, physicians who are taking care of patients uh, in low-income communities that disproportionately may have African-American men don't have the resources to 
get them enrolled in clinical trials. Um, you know, it's been shown that, you know, using navigators and others to help um, usher men through, you know, the process of enrolling in a clinical trial, as well as um, help understand what kind of resources will be needed to support them in doing the clinical trial um, can lead to, you know, increased participation. And, and I'd be remiss if I were to say that there's not other factors that we have to deal with in terms of mistrust historically as it relates to clinical trials and the participation of African-American men. You know, one need only like remember the Tuskegee trial or, or talk about the syphilis study like to understand that there still may be lots of men who um, are reticent about participating in, in trials or studies um, for fear uh, and mistrust of healthcare in general. Uh, and the only way for us to overcome that is to you know, continue to address directly those concerns by understanding our own bias like providing culturally competent care and outreaching to communities of color in places um, and through places um, that there are trusted uh, environments. So. so my last question to you is that, you know, I was taught that African-American men, prostate cancer, specifically in African-American men is quote unquote more aggressive or African-American men have worse outcomes uh, than let's say white men. But is there data to suggest that if you take the healthcare disparities out of the equation, that that's not true? Yeah, and in fact, like there's really good data to suggest that. So, um, you know, one of the more recent studies in looking at, um, you know, men in VA, in the VA, and, and men who've been a part of randomized clinical trials when taken um, you know, together, right? and then accounting statistically for and adjusting for you know, some of the factors related to race, socioeconomic status that we spoke of uh, and accounting for these disparities, uh, then ultimately the outcomes were quite similar. Like, and, uh, and what that suggests is you know, that, not that there aren't differences, but what it suggests is that if we address the very differences we talked about, you know, the social determinants of health, then we can actually see similar outcomes uh, for black men as we see with white men. And, to, and so that's, that's a positive message, I think, to, for folks to leave with, is that this is something we can fix. Like, this is something like, we can fix. We can't fix it all by ourselves as urologists, but I think we can lead the way working with um, our institutions, working with our hospitals, our health systems, like, and working with our communities to try to solve. Um, and so I think that's, I think it's a really, it's really good data to suggest that, you know, there is no reason, I think, uh, in this day and age for black men to have different outcomes than white men with respect to prostate cancer, if we address social determinants of health. Uh, to me, that is uh, the most encouraging uh, thing that we spoke about today. And while it, it may not be easy, it is doable. And I think it's, it's something that uh, we as a society need to be committed to. Um, you know, there's so many things uh, in medicine that we can't change, but we can change uh, this. And I think that uh, um, that's the most encouraging thing. Now we just got to go out and do it. <laughs> that's right. And so um, you know, looking forward to, to, to fighting that fight 
And, uh, and, um, and so thanks a lot for giving me an opportunity to, to talk about a topic I feel so strongly about. Well, Dr. Stanley Frencher, Associate Professor uh, in the Department of Urology at the David Geffen School of Medicine at UCLA and the Chief of Urology at Martin Luther King Jr. Community Health in Los Angeles, California. Thank you so much for this really uh, insightful uh, look at uh, addressing disparities in prostate cancer care and addressing uh, healthcare disparities uh, uh, in general. Uh, I really enjoyed this. Thanks a lot, Stan. Okay. Thanks, Victor. I appreciate it. And as always, I would like to thank our audience. And for more information, please don't hesitate to visit us at auanet.org university. Thank you.